Hello and welcome to Softcats Explain It podcast series. This is the last episode of season five, but don't be sad. Wipe those tears and fear not, we will be back. Or will we? Let's leave it on a cliff edge. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. We're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech, in this case business, in simple, jargon-free language. Over the course of this series, we have discussed new trends and ideas, as well as providing solutions to everyday problems in this fascinating and ever-changing world of tech. So the key is in the title, and on that note, I will introduce today's topic. There's no business like tech business. Today, we are discussing key business developments that we've seen over the last 12 months with an eye clearly on the year ahead. To share insights, I'm joined by our panel of Softcats account chief technologists. And for the second time this year, I will let them all introduce themselves. And I'll start with James. Okay, uh, James Seaman. I am an account chief technologist uh, working in Softcat's office of the CTO, and I've been with Softcat just under, in fact, days under five years. Congratulations, you're still here. Well done. Philippa. Hi, my name's Philippa Winter. I'm one of the account chief technologists in James' team, and I work in healthcare and central government. I've been at Softcat for 15 fabulous months. Hi, I'm Andy. I'm an account chief technologist in James's team as well. Uh, I tend to focus on our corporate customers and start the same day as Philippa, so 15 fabulous months. And last but by no means least, our technical director. Hi, uh, Dylan Foster-Edwards, technology director for Softcat. Uh, I have responsibility for the advisory function for which the ACT sit within. Fantastic. Welcome to you all. Great to hear from all of you. So the first question, James, what is an account chief technologist or... ACT, as they are known. We love acronyms. Well, with a job title like that, we're a mystery wrapped in an enigma. But in essence, we're, a, we're an advisory practice inside Softcat that we align ourselves to our core and most important and biggest um, customers. Uh, not exclusively. We do, work, we do work across all of Softcat's customer base, but I think we're unique. I'd like to say we're unique in the channel. We're a team of, of consultants and advisors um, that get to get involved in the weird and wonderful with our customers, the things that our customers wouldn't normally expect from a, from a reseller from the channel. And I believe and, and feel very strongly that that uniqueness is a differentiator for Softcat. I'm really proud of the team. We, we get to take on business challenges on behalf of our customers. We want to talk about their business outcomes, not necessarily about a specific technology area or technology challenge, but what it is they do as a business and how we as Softcat with our partners, with our internal capabilities and with our relationships with ISVs and vendors and OEMs deliver product, service and outcome that better enables their business. And yeah, I think my pride comes from the point that we can take a business outcome, we can consult, we can advise, we can bring our expertise, expertise that people like Philippa and Andy bring from their previous roles, help steer that ship on behalf of a customer. But then because we are a reseller, we can do what consultancy firms can't do and take it to the point of delivery and benefit realization. It isn't just a buzzword. We actually help them realize the benefit because we can consult, we can advise, assess, and deliver, which is where Softcat's pedigree is. Um, So over the last five years, we've gone from a team of myself and Dylan uh, when when Dylan was first in post, he, he hired me and brought in. I, I was the first expansion in that team. At the end of January, there'll be 11 of us, 11 industry leaders, UK CIO number one and award winners, enterprise architects, IT directors, IT managers, transformation leads. I think it's a pedigree team. I think it's a unique team. I think it's a team that Softcat 
should be massively proud of. I know they are. Um, and a team that differentiates is in the marketplace. Fantastic. That's a great introduction. Um, so I'm going to jump straight into the next question. So Softcat works across many different business areas, but I'll focus on two general areas if I can to kick things off. So the commercial business sector and that public sector area. And I'll ask the same question, but I'll ask it to James and I'll ask it to Andy. And I'll, James, I'll, I'll direct public sector at you and Andy commercial, if that's okay. So what are we seeing in terms of trends um, over the last 12 months, uh, challenges, things that have worked well, maybe not have worked well, areas from a customer perspective that we're seeing that we're having to respond to in that advisory um, and that consultancy piece of uh, uh, of our business, which James, you, you illustrated, this is what this team focuses on. So I'll start with James, public sector. Give us a give us a brief um, understanding of what we're seeing. And obviously, in the public sector, there's plenty of bodies and organisations in that. Yeah, so I think across the obviously we are verticalised in our public sector team very very strongly. So we look after our central gov customers. Um, obviously, some arms length bodies included in that as well. We have defence, public sector, then your standard public sector verticals around healthcare, and um, local government, education, and then obviously the levels of education, higher education, going right down to what we'd call our uh, K twelve, um, which is an Americanism, kindergarten to twelve years old, which covers things like multi academy trust, primary schools, right into that secondary space. And when, as I said, we've got strong verticalization in those areas from a product and service perspective. What we're seeing in as across the trends, obviously, the dreaded C word uh, that affected absolutely everybody for several years in, in the UK drove a huge amount of change and transformation across the public sector. And what that actually resulted in is a lot of fast paced delivery, which is fantastic in a sense. If there was a ever... It's not for me to say there's a silver lining to something as terrible as an international pandemic, but if there ever was, it was, I think that there was a, an increased delivery and successful delivery, I might add, of, of digital technologies to enable remote healthcare, remote learning, remote education services, um, push towards cloud um, collaboration platforms like Teams and Google and, and, and Zoom and so on. What we're seeing from a consultancy and advisory perspective in that space is the expectation that these organizations, their stakeholders, students, citizens, patients are now expecting is the same pace of delivery that happened at the beginning and during COVID. So there's an increased demand because the expectation's gone up. So in essence, IT went from being never heard of unless something went wrong to being almost the people that you were banging um, pots and pans for in those specific industries themselves because they were delivering that level of enablement change. So what we're seeing across the public sector at the moment is this challenge of high demand um, for change in the sectors in the organizations within those sectors, which obviously puts strain on the individuals, their processes, their maturity, their capacity, their capability. We're doing a lot of work with these organizations to help keep pace, to, to look at their target operating models. What I mean by that is their roles, responsibilities, their processes, the way they engage with their workforce and how to get the best from the technologies they deployed very, very quickly during COVID. So in education settings, we're looking at how they can use their data more effectively on the students that they've got and the way that they collaborate with those students. Um, and data and applications, I would say, is probably the pervasive thing of, of we've got these organizations now that are much more digital than they were two, three years ago, and are now looking at how they can leverage those assets in a better way. And that is a lot about people. It's a lot about process. And it's a lot about understanding those digital assets, not the technology assets per se, but the digital assets that sit on, so the data that they have and what that data means for that organization. And I think there's synergies, and I'll let Andy answer that in the corporate space, but we we are now getting a lot more business people and process questions from our customers, which is leading them to procure things differently. So the, the thing I'll leave you on there is, I think there's been a realization across the public sector in that 
they now know what the product or the service or or the platform is that they may need or or have and want to utilize but they are now seeking more advice and more leadership from a consultative perspective from the marketplace and from the likes of Softcat to gain greater value. And what we're now seeing is rather than it being product platform led service attached, it's now actually this is a service first and then we'll we'll fettle the product later, uh, which really excites me because that's true value. You, people who do know me and have worked with me know that I always talk about taking custody of the public pound. That's been a one-way fight for many, many years. We're now seeing this coming from the customers themselves and that advice around help us buy this properly, help us understand how to get the value from it or help us understand how we can use our digital assets more effectively. They're really exciting conversations. Obviously, budget constraints. The, the pressure on the public sector is massive. So that is all intermixed with the fact that they've got less to spend and more to save and bigger demand than ever before. They're not striking today and starting strikes in nursing in, in nursing um, staff and across transport and everything else for no reason. The demand, the stress and the strain on this industry is huge. And I think it is beholden upon people like Softcat to help our public sector colleagues be more effective, be more efficient, find some oxygen find some capacity and that's also a driver in the technology space how can we help them find that how can we use technology in a more effective way that protects jobs delivers the right outcome and finds that oxygen so getting that value piece you know out of those investments and looking at what they're using from a technology perspective how they and also how they're having to move with the speed of which people expect now because you're saying that obviously over that period of the COVID period, there was a lot of change, a lot of digital transformation in flight still happening. And you're saying the rate of change and the speed of change is still expected, but not at the expense of spending all that money potentially that allowed them to get there quicker. So how do we, how do those organisations in that sector become, I guess, more frugal, looking at the the, the budgets more effectively? And, and Andy, to you, um, Philip, I'll come to you in a second, because I, I want to ask about specifically, you know, James mentioned nurses and I don't want to get political, but we are seeing in, in that sector this this kind of uh, impact to, to the, some of the, the areas that James talked about. And you're an ex-CIO in that industry. I want to get your perspective on that. But Andy, from your perspective, commercial, the commercial businesses we work with, and there's plenty of those. Are there similar themes we're seeing there? I think so, yeah. I mean, 77% of CIOs are experiencing IT resource limitations standing the way of progress. So this is you know across different verticals different sectors whether it be pub sector or corporate so that is something where we're seeing a demand and ask for and technology is a great enabler but it's not always the answer so we need to understand you know what are these skill shortages and what can we do to mitigate those and manage that more effectively for the organizations so where can we drive efficiencies whether it be operational efficiencies uh, budgeting cost effectiveness to add that value to help the organizations still achieve what they want to do but utilizing technology in the most suitable way and if they can't do that themselves in-house because they don't have the skill sets they're struggling to recruit then what can we do in terms of through partners and, and other providers out there help them achieve those same business outcomes and the other thing that i think is quite interesting which we're seeing across both public and, and corporate sectors is that over 40 percent now of business customers are line of business customers they're not IT. So where traditionally I think we spoke to IT managers, you know, head of IT, head of infrastructure, IT directors, etc. We're now spending more time speaking to COOs, directors of finance, and, and those business-minded people to help understand what their challenges are, what are the outcomes they're trying to achieve, and then how technology can help support the delivery of those. 
I, this is maybe quite a punchy statement coming from a reseller, but I don't think customers care about what we're selling them. They only care about the impact that the product or the services that we have helps them on their business journey and helps their organization achieve those goals and outcomes that they're after. I think that's consistent across both. And do you think there's a responsibility, therefore, for organizations like us to evolve to be and be proactive with supporting those parts of certainly our, our relationships with our customers? I think so, because you know, we have to stay relevant. The markets and things are changing and we have to provide the services and the outcomes that our customers want and need. Otherwise, we're not relevant. So we have to listen to our customers and be driven on their challenges and their business needs. It's good business. It, it works in the customer's benefit. This is an internal thing that a lot of people uh, listening to the podcast may not have heard me say before, but I've definitely said several times internally. When we speak, when my team, when Philippa, when Andy speak to a customer, they speak about the business outcome. So in the corporate space, if Andy's talking to a bakery, he talks about baking bread. That's pervasive and that's persistent. That's what that organization is always going to do. That's how they pay their workers. They sell bread. If from a technology perspective, Dean, we're talking to that organization about how we might fix a cybersecurity problem, then we fix that discrete challenge for that customer. The account manager then has to go fishing again in the same account to find out what the next challenge is. And that is a headache and an overhead for the customer because they have to think about what their next challenge is and they have to surface that requirement to us and we might try and sell them that outcome or they might buy it from somebody else. If we are on that journey with that customer and we are putting some skin in the game and helping them bake bread and make money from baking bread and beat their customers and diversify to bake cakes and, and all the other things that they may do that is their raison d'etre that is their thing that they will do every single day and it's how they pay their workforce it's how they make money it's how it's how they grow it's how they succeed by changing as an organization to understand the point andy raised to help our customers focus on the outcome and the value not the product they don't care what we sell them they just care about the impact it's better business for us let's be honest we're a reseller we're here to sell things it's a better outcome for the customer it's just good business it just makes sense and and i think and i would hope that our team andy and philippa at the forefront of doing that for our customers so that brings me on to what we're seeing certainly in the UK, with a lot of public sector workers responding to the, the need and want and, and having to ask for more money ultimately, so re, repositioning budgets. Are we going to see that being a thing? Is, it, is that an easy thing to do in public sector where potentially we work to reduce the investments or get the value out of that investment? Actually say to them, you don't need to buy more stuff. But how do they, I mean, is that possible, Philip, to reposition that money into supplementing things like salaries? Because surely that's different budgets. But is that is that kind of what we're talking about? No, it, it's it's not sadly. And let's face it, you know, a, an organisational's budget they can use in how they want to, but there's um, a balance between capital and revenue and obviously staff salaries come out of revenue and what that is. But as much as we push forward for those salaries, we don't have enough staff, we don't have enough trained, qualified staff in nurses, doctors, AHPs and some of the specialist areas and that takes time to recruit, to train over the time but I think technology does have a big place and that's not about reducing the workforce, we already have a reduced workforce so actually technology has got a really big place to be able to support those frontline workers to take off some of that burden but what we always have to understand is what part of frontline care always has to be done by a human and there is a lot of that so this isn't about replacing 
humans with robots. We already know that if we recruited every single, in 10 years' time, every single school leaver for the NHS, we still would have gaps. So we know that we're in, coming into crisis. We're already in crisis. I've never known so many people, even when I was back in the organisation, in that organisation going to food banks because they didn't have enough money to feed their families because of what they do they do long hours there's so much expected of them to do over the amount of hours that they're meant to do already but actually technology is going to be the key to that and that's where we really need to be clever organizations need to understand where their pain points are and that will be different from organization to organization in understanding some of those key pathways between stopping people coming into hospital keeping them safer and healthier in the community and that includes many mental health as well um, and also just the our children for the future to keep them well so we have to think more right back from being born and how we can impact on that and how technology can and AI and machine learning can support our staff in the NHS doing that far more effectively but not to get rid of them. So that's an interesting point and and what you're talking about there is understanding the flow of things, the process, the the life cycle, if you will, of that those component parts. This might be a, a really blunt way of of saying it, but it's kind of understanding that and then bringing those things together. James, you you talk a lot about things like desire paths and and these these areas of kind of knowing the process and the path associated with a thing, and that goes across all the businesses we work with, right? What Philippa was saying is understanding those process flows are much more effectively to find where you can put a technology in or where you can put a process in or where you can put a person in. Is that a thing that I'm on the right track there? A hundred percent. I think, um, so obviously you've heard me talk about desire paths in the, in, in the past and that, that talks about the, I suppose, a user or an IT user. In this case, it, it may be a patient, their desire and their, their way, their way in which they want to navigate the pathway that they're on. Um, so they may cut a corner, they may want to cut across a field and not walk around the 90 degree angle that the, the city planner paved for them. Um, and the same analogy is it can be used with regards to IT use, but also a patient's interaction with a healthcare service. So what we mean when we talk about desire paths is everyone will have heard about the NHS app, right? But the NHS app isn't right for everybody. The digital uptake of the NHS app has been incredible and that democratization of the patient's information and the, the manner in which they can interact with their care workers and care deliverers um, for their uh, care pathway is incredible, but it's not 100% fit. There will be people who want a physical interaction or want to go and see their GP. And it's understanding those different um, mechanisms and touch points and the care delivery and where the value is that is important. Philippa alluded to that, the, the analogy or the adage that goes around healthcare a lot, which is the cradle to the grave view of healthcare and actually how do we make it efficient for the lifespan of an individual that's how we target that across absolutely every individual and you're going to have a much more effective planned even with foresight care delivery system and there's a direct analogy in healthcare we we talk about patient flow so if you take an acute hospital for example where you have your your big buses with the blue flashing lights on top arriving and dropping patients off at A&E so the ambulance drops the patient off there's a flow for that patient how they're triaged how they're treated to make that flow effective, to be able to forecast and plan clinical asset, so the availability of a bed, a wheelchair, even surgical instruments if needed, if that person's going through surgery, to be able to plan and flow the clinical asset, the patient's journey, the clinician who needs to speak to them, the availability of the information at the end of a test, to be able to 
plan that out makes a more effective, more efficient flow for that patient, but also for that whole hospital. And a, and a direct example of that is I did some work with Philippa's Trust, actually, when Philippa was a customer, and we were looking at patient flow. And one of the challenges that Philippa's CTO brought to us was, I want to think about this outside of technology. And one of the areas we looked at was digitally enabling porters. Nothing to do with A&E, nothing to do with ambulance, nothing to do with the sharp end in inverted commas. I'm not trying to devalue porters here, by the way, but to, to look at how can we make porters more effective? Because the standard journey for a porter in that trust at that time, and this is going back some years now, and I'm surprised I can even remember this far back, but the standard journey for a porter in that hospital was they would move a patient maybe in a wheelchair from ward A to ward B or take them for a scan or whatever that might be, but they'd then need to go and find either the closest or their sort of ward clerk or, or senior member of staff to tell them what the next job was oh actually can you clean that bed down for me or can you go and get that patient from any or can you go and do this and that that holds up as clinical asset availability because that wheelchair's not being cleaned that bed's not being cleaned down that patient's not being moved so that person sat waiting for the patient to turn up so that clinician is now not effective so actually what we wanted to do is digitize porters and give them scheduled workflow so they didn't have to do a job and then go and find the next person to tell them what the next ward clerk or whatever that person might be to tell them what the next role was why can't we give them an app that schedules their job tells them it's better for the porter because they know what they're going to do they know when they can actually nip off and 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 have a quick break or have some lunch or whatever it is they need to do makes them more effective it automates workflow and it can be integrated into other parts of the the sort of it estate and the data estate that exists for that patient and for that trust and that alone that study alone that view alone we were able to come up with efficiency metrics and to say actually we'll see this many more patients we'll have this much more availability of beds um, that has a direct impact on budgets and just looping back and i'm sorry you asked me a one question there and I'm sort of answering it very, very verbosely, but you touched on a point around funding with Philippa and it's not a subject we'll start now because I'll burn through an hour um, on my soapbox ranting about how retrospective accountancy in the public sector doesn't actually work. But that aside, understanding through people like Philippa and like people in the team like myself who've worked in this sector, understanding where the money comes from, how it is accounted how it is spent, how it can be spent, how it should be spent, where the savings targets are and how that's managed sets us apart. We're not a sales firm trying to just sell something. We actually understand the standing financial instructions that exist within the NHS, with exist in the wider public sector. We understand how they get their funding, where that funding comes from, how they measure its spending, the gates they have to go through, the business cases they have to write, the meetings they have to go to. We have a level of expertise that sets us apart and allows us to take that custody of public money so when philippa engages with a customer the first thing she does when she rings me is this is the customer this is the challenge listen it's got to be this it's got to be this it's got to be this it, the, the, this is the funding this is where it's coming from this is where the value is because we understand that life cycle of the pound not just the service a, a very passionate uh, series of statements and valid absolutely and obviously we're focusing on public sector um dylan i've got, I've got a question for you in a second but i just want to go to andy quickly so what, what what james is recognizing there is understanding that flow that process flow and i know you work with a lot of customers in legal retail uh manufacturing the, the similar challenges i guess in terms of processes budgets being understand those business problems as, as much as obviously the public sector is a bit more i would say uh, sensitive in terms of where money goes obviously in the in the in the corporate sector the commercial sector 
historically, you know, there's been different levels of funding available depending on industry and the success of those industries. But obviously, even though, surely even those industries now are getting slightly squeezed and we've seen that over the last 12 months. So they're having to find the same level, surely, of efficiencies and working practices and target operating models. What do you see? Are you seeing, uh, again, again, a, a similar section of, of challenges across different sectors? Yeah, absolutely. And finding out how the businesses work, what they need to do to continue to to grow, stay relevant, or in some cases even survive is is really important. And we take lessons learned from one industry, one sector, and, and we can you know manage that and, and communicate that to another customer in a similar in a different sector, but how it may impact them. But the, the real real kind of challenge that we've got for a lot of corporate customers is their business lines were massively impacted because of a pandemic. People were locked down. People were unable to go and potentially consume services. You take retail as, as an example. The pandemic drove a huge element of investment into e-commerce platforms because people couldn't go to a shop. They couldn't physically go to bricks and mortar, walk around, pick the thing that they wanted. And even when lockdowns were eased, footfall was significantly lower because people were nervous about the impacts on their health and do they really need to travel. So that that drove a huge amount of, of business into e-commerce platforms. So the retailers that invested correctly in their e-commerce experience and you take amazon as a, as a market leader you know buy it now it's one click i type in what i want buy it now done it's a great customer experience you go to other e-commerce platforms other retailers it may be slightly longer to find the thing you want because the search algorithm is not quite as as uh, efficient as Amazon's are. And then you need to type in addresses, you need to log, you know, log in, you need to put in credit card information, and it becomes a much longer experience. And people are becoming impatient. So they just want to buy it now. <laughs> so they t- they start to get frustrated and go, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the thing I found from this website, and I'm going to type it into Amazon and find the next best thing that's similar to it, because it's quicker and it's easier. And it, that's sort of it's become a normal behavior. Those retailers now that have survived the pandemic, that have done okay, if they haven't looked at some of their efficiencies uh, and how they can manage their costs, we're going into a recession. They're going to be hit again. So a lot of the corporate businesses haven't really had the opportunity to recover as effectively as they could have done from the, the pandemic necessarily, are now going to go into what could be one of the worst recessions that we've, we've had, um, certainly in a long time. So that's where technology can help. How can these business processes be driven more efficiently and more cost effectively and more streamlined to still give customers the level of experience that they've become used to and want to want to continue to have in a more cost effective way? The organizations that struggle with that are the ones that are going to struggle over the next few years. And um, we can see some organizations you know, essentially ceasing to be because they haven't used technology in the right way to empower those processes to be more efficient, to be more cost effective, and to continue to drive that business resiliency going forward. And I suppose on that note, you know, things like supply chain and all those things we hear about are impacted because the demand is still there, but the speed of which the user, the consumer is expecting things to be delivered from those organisations a bit like public sector, the, ex- the the expectations gone up, right? It's like you need to meet those expectations. And the bit that I'll sort of finish this section off about is is, is, is an area that certainly on the, the tech trends, we did a tech trends recording and that, that was the last episode and experience came up. 
the, the next wave of what we're seeing within technology and obviously matching that to business was experience. And that's and from what James, you've said, and Philip, what you said, it's, that's the patient experience. What you're saying, Andy, is the consumer experience. We're seeing the user experience being um, having to be monitored and, and, and responded to more effectively. And, you know, the employee experience as well, how we all work and how we're measured. So I'll finish off by saying experience seems to be the area that we've seen evolve over the last couple of years and certainly over the last 12 months. And that sounds like it's going to move into the next you know, wave to meet or respond to some of the challenges that organizations are going to potentially feel with a potential recession, which we, we, we're pretty sure is going to happen. Which brings me on to Dylan, actually, and Softcat and how Softcat's evolved. And certainly from a customer experience perspective and user experience perspective, what's Softcat focusing as a business on? And, and what, what areas have we focused on to kind of look at that ourselves? Can you, have you got any examples? Yeah, sure. I mean, Softcat's been evolving for a long time. You know, Softcat will be 30 years old next year. And we've exponentially grown, really, since I've joined. Six years ago, it was just over a 1,000 people when I joined, and we hit 2,000 this year uh, and continue to grow. So, you know, it's definitely increasing from an ex- exponential perspective. Um, I think I'd start off with talking about people a little bit. Um, Andy talked about that it's challenged by CEOs. We are also challenged, you know. Uh, I, I sit in a part of the business which needs to provide expertise and technical expertise to support our customers and our sales teams. Um, so recruiting in that team is, continues to be challenging. You know, when I first took management responsibility for people, it wasn't that hard, to be honest. We had a really good recruitment team. We go out to the market, we get some good people, we recruit them and they stay. But, you know, the pandemic has changed people's expectation from what they want from a job. They want more flexibility. They want the ability to work remotely. Uh, more recently, we've got cost of living pushing the need for people to want more money. So that obviously means we have to pay more money. Now we're seeing about 11, 12% increase in salaries in previous years. We're having to pay that much more to secure people. So that will continue to be a problem um, and has been a problem in the last 12 months for us to secure good people that can support our business. And especially on our side of the business, the team we've got here uh, and the extended team, we've always had a mantra that, they all come with a consultancy background and they all come with background and knowledge from in the market. But actually, we always try to add something new to the team every time so we can add a different angle. And I'm really pleased that, um, you know, we are still managed to secure two more people to join the team. Uh, will be joining us in January. And again, they come with a very similar background, but they come with a new skill each time. So, you know, that's something that we continue to need to do. And that a lot of that's driven by the fact that our sales teams are changing the customers that we have is changing so that means the technical expertise that we have in our team and in the other architecture team has to continue to evolve as an organization we don't make anything we've historically built our business through selling product we now have to add more value by advising on what products to buy advising on how we design implement support and manage that environment so we are a very different organization than we were 30 years ago um, so you know we have to continue to evolve and we have to continually listen to what our customers are asking for and what our sales teams are asking for and it's difficult you know because to get good people takes at least three to four months um, so I, if somebody comes to me and sells says I need somebody to be able to support product XYZ I generally can't get someone tomorrow it's going to take me a while to find somebody and I have to see the demand so you know it's a constant challenge we're constantly thinking of better ways to better do that but recruitment will still be a challenge 
as far as the business is concerned, we've also had to change. Our services business has significantly grown to what it was when I joined, and there is a bigger demand on us now. And actually, we've made some changes in the last year that mainly due to the fact that our sales team has grown significantly. Our services team has still continued to grow, but it's still a smaller proportion of our business. And one of the things that we've had to adapt is we have to become a better services organization because historically we have organically grown lots of departments and we ended up looking at it a couple of years ago. We're a services department of about 300 people, but actually it's lots of little departments. So we're trying to adapt that so that you know, we operate a bit like a reseller within a reseller. We, we need to be able to consume those requests and then fulfill those requests as quickly as possible. And we've made some changes internally so that we can actually control the opportunities coming from our customers, opportunities coming from our sales organization through one front of house, basically. Now we, have, we call it the engage function. It enables us to be able to track the opportunities better. It enables us to allocate the opportunities better. Ultimately, that will hopefully give our salespeople and our customers a better customer experience because we can control and manage that rather than historically there tended to be a bit of a scattergun. I'll send some requests that I need someone to do something and somebody will reply. So that's something we've had to change. You know, that I think comes as we grow as an organization. Um, we have to adapt. We're continually looking at it. You know, it's a great organization to work for. We do look at it all the time. We get around a table on a regular basis to understand, okay, what can we tweak? What can we adjust? to make it better and continue to deliver that great service. Again, there's a common theme there, isn't there, around customer experience. That's the key thing. It's like, how do you improve the experience of the user, the people you're interacting with? And I suppose Softcat, from what you're describing, like the rest of the industry uh, uh, in different sectors, are going through that same, if you like, evolution. Yeah. I mean, we've we've actually got Mark Forster's joined us recently as a services director, and he's got some specific things that he's, he's wanting to work on. Uh, and one of the focus areas he calls it customer experience everywhere um, because traditionally customer experience has been related to something you deliver to a customer so after you do something you do a good job it's good quality okay that's good good customer service you responded quickly and you gave them what you wanted but actually there's loads of other supporting elements in the business that contribute to it that may not necessarily be customer facing so we're trying to have a mantra that you know, whatever it is and however we collaborate and however we interact we're, we're doing the best job that we can possible so we're just trying to I guess, take it to the next level so that we can try and ultimately give a better customer experience, not only to customer, but also internally. I just wanted to support something you were saying there, Dylan. If you think, well, I think we're ahead, Dean. When you talk about resellers, and, and I think we're actually ahead of the curve in this one, um, Dylan talked about advisory practice, adding to that practice, bringing in different skills. If you flash back five years ago when I joined the team, and you would have told me that in a reseller, we would have invested the amount we've invested in the team size that we have now and the way that that's grown. We were definitely ahead of the curve. I said the team we have is is unique and it's not just my team. I'm very selfishly talking about my team here, but I think we've done it across the board, Mark's continuing to do it across service. But Dylan, you've support that. You, you, for me to come to you and say, I've got this idea and I think we should be hiring all these people that want a lot of money to deliver this type of advice to, to customers, to take that battle on and to go to what is a reseller a CFO of a reseller and ask for that amount of budget. I think that there's a lot of, um, we've sort of forged a path, Dylan, and we forged that path behind you. And it's not just in services. I'm, it's not just your kudos, although you have definitely supported the growth of our team. I think Softcat are known for that. Yeah. We don't sit back and wait. We will go and we will try and lead and we will try and differentiate. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of that's driven by the fact that, you know, we've got some clever people in the team and we're able to demonstrate that by adding value, you know. So it took us a while to, bed in the function because it didn't exist you know we, we created it um well sam created it actually 
I won't take that away from him. Um, and uh, you know, it's something that it's taken a long time to to build within the business. They understood the value of why they come to us, rather than you know something we're either trying to block something or we're trying to stop them from doing something. Now I think we've got a point where they understand why we're here, they understand what, what the value is coming to talk to us, and we can demonstrate that by the engagements we're working on. And the other thing I was just going to mention is the change in our business. I think I talked before about predominantly product business, and I and I think. I'd be interested in the second point. I think it'd be interesting to get an opinion from the from the room that you know we are seeing a bigger swing to more what I call solution and advisory business, uh, and because of that, you need a different skill set. You know, it's not about having a product specialist just to ring a customer and go, "Would well, you want a blue one or a red one of these?" Okay, how many do you want? Right, I'll do you a quote. I'll send it over to you. We'll get it delivered. It's actually about coming back to what James and Philip were talking about. It's about well, what outcome are you trying to achieve? Actually, if you're engaging us. And we're talking about technology. It's supposed to be too late, because actually you've you've gone too far down the thought process for us to most probably go backwards, because you've invested time and money into making a decision. And you're, we're just basically telling you it's wrong. So the most important thing for us is to you know when we, we identify that solution and advise your business, we engage right at the outset of the customer understanding there's a problem or something they're trying to achieve. We can then support them with the specialisms we've got within the team. We can pick and choose who's best suited to answer. Um, and hopefully we'll have somebody who has that specific skill set. And then we'll ultimately work with them and say, right, what are you trying to achieve? Right, let's try and talk that through. What you tr- what's the outcome you're trying to get to? Right, let's understand how we can change the people, process, or the technology in order to help support where you're trying to get to. And we, c- we can then work with either the vendors that we work with. We can work with our other colleagues within the business to ultimately help them choose the right technology uh, and ultimately get it deployed. And I think the, other, the last thing from my perspective is we're being pushed, I think, and this is the one I'm, I'll say I'm interested to see if the rest of you agree. Because we're being pushed away from a more traditional product business, to a more of a SaaS consumption-based business, I think it drives you towards a more of a solution approach than a rather traditional design approach. So you know, I think that's because we're seeing more of that business coming into Softcat, that means we have to have a different set of people to support it. Uh, and, and as James said, we, we're fortunate enough to continue to get the support to continue to invest because you know there are people who are not cheap to secure. We have to keep them, we have to keep them busy and other, other to demonstrate their value. So um Hopefully that will continue and we'll continue to you know, get involved in all these exciting opportunities and sales will keep bringing them to us. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the coming years. I think the, for me, the interesting part when we talk about customers and, and kind of customer experience is we're using that terminology, customer experience, not customer service, where, you know, when I used to be a, you know, a customer of Softcats, I was always asked how you know, for, about customer service and, and all that. No one asked me what my experience was. We as an organization have changed that. So we're not just delivering a customer service and, and that type of element of how did we deploy, you know, you know, the red thing or the blue thing as Dylan talked about. It's what is that experience that you've had? How have you not just in terms of the the what we've delivered and is that fit for purpose? Has it done the job that we said it would do? But how is the experience interacting with us? How is the you know, have we helped you understand the financial implications of it? Have we helped you understand the impact it has on your team? Have we helped you understand how the processes are going to interact with the red or the blue thing that's, that's put part of it? The whole overall experience is much higher on focus now. And that's not just across the team that, that you know, that, that James has put together. That's 
becoming far reaching across the whole of SoftCat. You know, I hear our account managers talking about how, how can we help with that experience far more than we've done before. And we're investing as a business much more into that experience piece. The other talk where you talk about you know, customer outcomes as well and you know, what is the, the business outcome that they're trying to achieve. We can challenge that because we've worked in a lot of these industries and these verticals. So why is that the outcome that you're after? Is it a case of you're just trying to compete, you know, stay up to get with competitors and make sure that you're not losing ground? Or is there a, a reason that you think it's going to give you an edge? Because we span multiple different verticals, because we work in public sector and corporate worlds, if we understand why that is the outcome that they're after, we can also help potentially advise maybe a better outcome or a different outcome that would give them a bit more of an edge that would help them stand a little bit above their competitors in the industry that they're in, whether it be lessons learned from other industries where they've had similar challenges and already solved them, or where it might be something that's new and, and coming through, whether it be from technology or from market research that we're doing. Um, it can help that organization achieve potentially more than they dreamed to set out from originally. And that value, I think, is is huge to, to our customer base. I'd agree, Dean. And I think, um, you know, over the last probably six months particularly, I think in public sector, we've been asked to do a lot more workshops with multidisciplinary sort of teams within the organisations and wider regional groups around that thought leadership piece. When I was a CIO, when you're grappling with your capital experience, you know, your capital plans, your business as usual. Sometimes it's really hard to get your head above the parapet to look at, well, what is new out there and what's working well? And, you know, who's the new startup? Who's the new kid on the block and what can you do? And I think, you know, when we talk about patient experience and the offer that we can provide through that thought leadership sessions and, and do those, you know, using some of our partners to pique their interest and also challenge some of the ways that they've done stuff in the past. And to be, like Andy says, that critical friend that's non-judgmental, but it's just that peak to just say, have you thought, can you do it differently? Are you not just rinse and repeating, but actually what could be new and what could get you right for fit for the future to make a difference to actually doing some really cool transformation across wider footprints as well? So I'm conscious of time. So I'm going to kind of start wrapping stuff up, but I'm going to, I'm going to say these things and, and you can all chip in at the end. So what I've got from today, and we're talking about the last 12 months and certainly all the areas you've talked about definitely, or for me, feed into what's happening and will continue to happen. And what I wrote down is it's all about solutions. It's all about outcomes. It's all about the experience and it's all about listening and listening to our customer being able to respond and evolve to meet their expectations. They may seem all basic things, but it's not about, as you, I think you've all said it, kind of saying blue or red, what do you want to buy? It's about understanding those component parts of our customer's journey. And certainly from what I've got today, the ACT function, the main purpose is to really listen and to really go through those stages to achieve those things for our customers. And I think that from what you're saying is over the next 12 months and going forward, that's going to be a really strong play in the market to support all customers, irrespective of industry. Is that a fair summary? Totally agree. Yep. Yep. Agreed. It's a bottom-up approach. I think IT and digital or transformation or any of those buzzwords has always been a top down. It's always been IT led. Andy talked about the fact that we're now speaking to line of business owners who want to drive transformation, who want to understand how technology can better enable their business. Does technology fix everything? 
Absolutely not. But does the use of something, anything that is effective in making a role, a business, an outcome better, more efficient, more effective, that, that's our focus. It's not just in and around that technology. It's understanding that ecosystem to drive value, either with the use of technology or adjacent to that. And that's what we're trying to do. That's the IP, if you like. That's the uniqueness that we're trying to bring to what we, we do with the technology world, but inside a customer's business. What I like to say is that, um, or get people to think about, is that technology is the golden thread through everything. It's your strategy, it's your transformation and what you can do. It's a facilitator. So rather than put it out separately, you know, as a separate strategy or as a separate department that comes in and does to you, that long has that gone now and it's that golden thread through everything that you need to do. Thank you for joining us today. That is the end of the season, um, but we'll be back for season six, as I said, I hope, and that'll be in 2023. It's been fantastic to host it this year. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Some great subjects. So if you do want to listen, go back and listen to season five. There's plenty of episodes to listen to. And going forward, have a great 2023.